Well, hello, everyone. This is Cameron, and we are... <laughs> no, that's not the right order. <laughs> no, but we're rolling with this. Oh, no, no. This is now, be this is now become oh. part of this so show. So now, now had... our thing is just whatever stupid thing I say at the beginning I've of the episode numbers is the of intro. People, numbers of people tell me that it is shocking... <laughs> How bad you are at the intro, so we're definitely keeping this. Okay, go for it. <laughs> You're beat red with joy at seeing me fail <laughs> once again. That well, okay, so, so it's, uh, I think this thing's called Out of Curiosity, and I'm pretty sure we're seeking <laughs> biblical clarity for modern questions. Uh, but now I have my doubts about the whole enterprise. Um, I hope everyone listening is getting a good laugh in their cars or whatever. You're just people smart, that text you're are such a smart person. <laughs> okay, let's get down to brass tacks here. If you're listening, you may or may not have heard of this, uh, but if you start looking into the Gospels and the formation of the New Testament texts, uh, the subject we're discussing today becomes something you kind of have to grapple with pretty quickly once once you start getting into it, uh, which is. The Q source or the Q, Q documents. Yes. Q. <laughs> Q. Just the letter Q. <laughs> hey, I'm trying to have a serious podcast here, man. Apparently not. So, <laughs> okay. So what is Q? What is Q? Q is a hypothetical, because we don't have any evidence, any direct evidence that this document exists, but it's a hypothetical first century source that scholars think was utilized by the early church, particularly... Um, the gospel authors, Matthew and Luke, uh, used this source, Q, to help compose their gospel accounts. And so we want to dive into what is this? What should we think of it? Uh, and Garland, I know you're passionate about this. So why, though? You tell me why you're passionate <laughs> about this. Well, the, the, one of the reasons I'm passionate about it is when we did the Dead Sea Scroll episode, uh, you know, a few back, you were very you were very uh, nervous about that, thinking, ah, nobody cares about this. You were like, oh, really? And it, it generated one of our largest conversations ever online. And so mostly... I I'm a man of the this. people. Yeah, I'm in touch with I what the people... I want to do this to show you. People, that people, people like stuff like this. Um, so this so is a spite podcast. This is all, all out of spite. Uh, <laughs> no, here's spite cast. it's it's important, and here's why. Here's where it becomes important. Um, I think that if you spend any time among critical scholarship, so critical would be uh, not coming from like starting from a conservative background. So you're going to get that at many, many, um, you know, state universities. Uh, I know I, I heard this stuff uh, at the state university that I went to. Uh, you're going to get it on any of your like CNN history channel discussions about the, the Bible and how it came to be. And you're also going to get it in conservative commentary. You know, any, any sort of, uh, you know, more technical conservative commentary is going to interact with this. In fact, there's an entire commentaries yeah. written on the Q document. And so uh, I think for uh, for Christians, it's helpful just to, if you're a Christian out there, it's helpful just to know what it is. Um, it does generate some very fascinating conversations about how we got the Gospels, where did the Gospel accounts come from. Now, let me also speak, if you're out there and you're not a Jesus follower, you're a skeptic, um, maybe you heard this you know, a, a news article or in a class you took at a university setting or something and went, aha, see, the Bible can't be trusted. I think that would be also very, uh, a very erroneous way to respond to uh, this conversation. And so, uh, this is going to be an episode mostly just for just exposure, we might say. Um, and so this is the kind of thing that I think is really, really fun. And if it helps you, um, kind of like the Dead Sea Scroll episode, we're talking about ancient 
manuscripts, ancient sources, ancient uh, documents. And so I always have to go into some sort of an Indiana Jones framework, like I'm going on a quest here, and that makes it marginally more fun. So just embrace the nerdy and let's get to let's get to work on it. Will All you right, do ready? full on full voices and characters? Well, whole... Indiana Jones has an American accent, right? I don't have to worry about that one. Uh, he's not so <laughs> he didn't have quite the southern uh, you know going on. So um, if I tried any other accent, it would fail miserably, as you know. You've you've had me embarrass myself many times over the years mm -hmm. uh, with my accents. They always devolve um, into some muddled mess. It's so true. Um, it's true. We I hate talk, to admit it, but it's when true. When we talk about uh, when we talk about the gospels, okay, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So um, Christians, even non Christians, coming to the uh, coming to the table. Um, most people at least have some kind of interaction with that 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 have been in Western culture, and we say, okay, what are the gospels? It's well, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Um, the question then becomes, those did not just fall from the sky, you know, in English, in that order. You know, I think when we look at the accounts themselves, we have to ask, okay, where did Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John get that material? And I think the initial answer we like to give is, well, they were with Jesus. They were eyewitnesses of Jesus. And yet, this is where I think it makes, especially those growing up in a maybe very Christianized world, the first time you hear, well, actually, two of those people weren't Jesus's disciples. You go, oh, wait, wait, are, what? So Luke and Mark, neither Luke nor Mark, um, were G part of Jesus's crew of the twelve. Um, there's there's debate on Matthew and John. Uh, I, I don't I don't so much debate it, but um, neither Mark nor Luke were part of Jesus's inner crew. And uh, to our knowledge, we have no knowledge that Luke ever met Jesus. Um, and so Mark, I think you could. You could probably you could probably build the case that Mark at least knew Jesus was a part of, uh, especially Jesus's ministry when he came down to Jerusalem, and so. Uh, but Mark, Mark, most uh, you know most scholars, and when we look at church history, uh, the early church fathers acknowledge Mark got much of his material from Peter. So who wrote it? Mark, yes, but through Peter. Oh, now what? And your head can start to scramble. Um, and yeah. so, when we when we look at the gospel accounts, um, we have to look at them and say, okay, there was some source material behind them. And that shouldn't surprise you, okay? Luke acknowledges, let, let me just read the beginning, uh, or actually, uh, do you have a Bible pulled up or I can do it? Uh, yeah, I can do it. Just read read the intro to the gospel of Luke, Luke chapter one, one to four, and you'll he tips his hand, he tells you right off the bat, uh, I'm using sources, I went and I asked people. So just uh, listen to how Luke begins the gospel. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile an account of the things accomplished among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word, it seemed fitting for me as well, having investigated everything carefully from the beginning, to write it out for you in consecutive order, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the exact truth about the things you have been taught. So there it is. Luke acknowledges, I went and I talked to the people who were there. I went and I discussed with the eyewitnesses, those who saw it. And so uh, Luke is telling us he has sources. In fact, Luke will do it again. Many, many scholars think that when Luke in Luke chapter eight, for example, mentions several of the women that were with Jesus, that these are probably where he got, that's how you might footnote, we might say. Now we do a footnote or a bibliography. In the ancient world, you you often do that by naming the person. The same thing happens in Mark's gospel. In Mark chapter 10, he says, Jesus healed a man, a blind man, and the other gospels don't name him, but Mark does. They says, uh, it was actually blind man named Bartimaeus. And a lot of scholars think that's that's Mark saying, I, I went and I talked to Bartimaeus. Go ask him. I'm footnoting him right here. Yeah. And so uh, these accounts, what makes 
them then uh, where the where the debate becomes, and we're talking about what's often called source criticism here, then often has a companion to that called redaction criticism and form criticism. But really we're talking about when you begin to analyze the sources, we have some very interesting questions that come up, particularly with the synoptic gospels. Okay, Cameron, what are the synoptic gospels? What does synoptic mean? Well, the synoptic gospels are Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and they are the three that basically share... Um, a remarkable number of similarities with one another. Yeah. Um, I have forgotten. What does the word synoptic yeah, mean? Yeah, so soon means with, and optic means uh, like I, how you see. So seen together, yeah. seen with. Seen and to- so, yeah. yeah. Uh, synoptic just comes from the Greek to see those, to see them together, to see them with. And so um, here's the issue. Matthew, Mark, and Luke share so much material, as you said, and not only share it, some of it's almost verbatim. And yet, yeah. then there's remarkable distinction. Uh, sometimes Matthew will change the order or change the word. Sometimes uh, the order of the events are completely rearranged from how they were in a different gospel. And yet, some of it is so remarkably the same. Um, and you can go and, and you can go look up synoptic problem. We might do a whole episode on quote unquote the synoptic problem. Um, there's a lot of ways to wrestle with. Okay, how did these gospels come together? Uh, were they using each other? If so, who was using who? Did they just magically write the same thing? Um, and, you know, that's where critical scholars come in and go. They probably didn't just magically write the same thing. So how would this go? Now, if this is an unfamiliar uh, conversation for you, if you're a, a skeptic coming into this, or if you're a Jesus follower and you're coming into this, um, this is the kind of thing that becomes very weighty and can sound very technical when you dive into it, but it really does matter. It's really important, and it actually can help you, you know, it can help unlock how you read the Gospels. And so if you've been in a church service where a pastor was giving, uh, you know, maybe giving an account in one Gospel, say the Gospel of Luke, but then they took you over to the Gospel of Mark and they shed light on the Luke passage, and you you were like, whoa, that's really what we're talking about, okay? So this can be very devotional. It doesn't have to be technical. Um, This can really unlock how you read the Gospels, especially the synoptics. Now, let's wade in. Now, this isn't a synoptic problem episode. We may come back and do that. But uh, when we think about Matthew, Mark, and Luke, how they were using each other, one of the dominant, in fact, we might say uh, the predominant position, at least among the scholars that I've read, is that Mark went first. Mark was the first of our gospels chronologically written. The reason that uh, scholars think that is, well, because Matthew and Luke both use so much of the material from Mark. Very little of what is in Mark is only found in Mark, we might say. In fact, it's a very small percentage of what is in Mark is unique to Mark. And so that leads many to say, okay, Mark was the source for Matthew and Luke. So much of what is in Matthew and Luke, some of it's even verbatim as it is in Mark. Now, here's where Q comes in. Okay, this is an episode about Q. Matthew and Luke share similar language as Mark. And so it's easy to say Mark must have been a source for those two. Now, there's also material that Matthew and Luke share, some of it almost verbatim, that is not in Mark. Now, here becomes the, uh, the hypothesis. Um, there must have been a source that Matthew and Luke are sharing that Mark either did not have, uh, maybe it was written after him, um, that Matthew and Luke are sharing that is different than Mark. And that source, that idea called the source, whatever that hypothetical source is, is what we now call the Q document or the Q source. That's it. 
super simple. Um, it, it, it's not all that complicated. Where Matthew and Luke share material that is not in Mark, they must have a common source. And the question then becomes, what was that source? Was it something written? Was it something, uh, just oral tradition that was passed in the community? And we have literally no idea. Now, no where idea. it gets cool, this is where the Indiana Jones come, comes in. And I don't, let me ask you this. Uh, uh, Only if you ask me an Indiana Jones accent. <laughs> he doesn't have an accent. How do you how do you speak like a Harvard nerd? I don't know how to do I'm that. Just gonna keep, I'm um, just going to keep saying <laughs> you it. You really want this. Um, I don't know where you land on the synoptic problem, Cameron. I'm throwing this at you out, out of nowhere here. Um, if we found a written Q source, mm. how would you respond to that? Like if we found an actual text of it, a manuscript of it, would you be excited? What would that do? Uh, for you. I'm just putting you yeah. completely on the spot here. And I'm asking an emotion question. Yeah, I would be excited if we found a Q document. Uh, I mean, I'm not troubled that we don't have a Q document, but if we had a Q document that would confirm all kinds of ideas we have about that scholars have about the synoptic gospels. Um, and really interesting question. It's similar to the question of like, if we found another letter from Paul, you know, what would we do with it? Mm-hmm. Um, some people go, oh, well, would we, would we just immediately add that to the Bible? And I think maybe that's a question where some of you would go with this. Okay, we find this document of the sayings and teachings of Jesus that was evidently authoritative uh, for the gospel authors. Should that just become like the latest book of the Bible? And I think uh, we would say, no, no, the, the Bible, we believe, has been supernaturally, that the process that's gotten us the books that we have has been supernaturally kind of governed by God throughout history. There's been, I mean, that's a, that would be actually be a wonderful episode for this as well, how we got the New Testament. Um, but um, the Bible's the Bible. We have what we have. The church has been formed by these collections of books. And so we'd say, oh man, well, here's here evidently is, uh, is the document that's helped shape and inform that the Holy Spirit has used to form the thinking and the writing of the canonical gospel writers. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. and to me, it's just like this great information and background that helps us understand mm-hmm. the scripture that we have. So I, I think it'd be amazing. Uh, what about you? I would, of course, also find it amazing. I'm actually glad you answered it that way. I didn't know how you were going to answer that. That's a, uh, that is a perfect segue. And here's why. The Q document was a hypothetical idea. Um, it got significantly more important. Now, this becomes a whole other episode that I think we'll do soon. The Q text got much more prominent in New Testament studies when the Gospel of Thomas was both found, translated, and began to really get uh, more scholarly attention. Now, the Gospel of Thomas. Uh, I can hear Dan Brown fans or those that said, <laughs> never see, uh, what was the name of that movie? Uh, the Da Vinci, da Vinci Code. Code. Like, you should never see this uh, movie because the Gospel of Thomas is in there. You just shouldn't um, see it because it's so boring. <laughs> are you serious? It's so good. I love the Da Vinci Code. <laughs> you it's love not, the Da Vinci Code? It's, oh, it's awesome. But I love National Treasure. I love any movie that, oh, where, where things like that. Yeah. Any, you, any massive I would see it if Nicolas Cage was in it. It would be better. That's the only movie. That's actually the only movie where you could definitively say that Nicolas Cage is a better choice than Tom than Hanks. Tom Hanks. <laughs> yes, there's, no other, right. there's no other option. Um, so the Gospel of Thomas, which we're going to come back, I think, in a few episodes and do a, a full episode on the Gospel of Thomas. Uh, again, it was uh, Dan Brown kind of made it popular, the Gospel of Thomas, when the Da Vinci Code came out. Um, the Gospel of Thomas is a gospel that was uh, almost no scholar thinks it was written by Thomas, the Thomas of the 12 disciples. Um, but the Gospel of Thomas, it also shares um, 
material that is in Matthew and Luke, but not in Mark. We might say it seems to share this same common source. Um, and so for many, then you say, okay, we got Matthew and Luke and some other gospel that came later all using Q or this hypothetical source. Um, this is what generated a lot of the controversy surrounding uh, the, the Q document. So what might we say about this? Like, what, this is going to be a little bit of a shorter episode. Like, what do we do with all this? At first, I think first it might be helpful for us to understand um, what is what is in this material? Like, what is in the material yeah. that Matthew and Luke share that Mark does not share? Now, here's what it is. We got, we have, it's mostly sayings. Uh, when we talk about the Gospel of Thomas, that'll be really clear, I think, in seeing the, the point of comparison there. It's parables, it's sayings, it's teachings. Uh, there's only two stories that, that, are in the, so the hypothetical Q, doc, uh, Q text or Q source, uh, the temptation of Jesus and the healing of the centurion's uh, server. Those are the only two uh, narratives. Case. That's what's in Q. What's not in Q? So what material is not there? This is where it becomes a little bit more interesting, maybe a little bit more controversial. In the material that's not in uh, Mark, but is in Matthew and Luke, we have uh, nothing about the communion or the Eucharist uh, for our maybe Catholic friends, um, nothing about the resurrection, nothing about the cross, nothing about the church and its leadership. Now, that I think can be overstated oftentimes by more skeptical or critical scholars because uh, all of the gospels include material about all of those things. So we might say there's some right. of the central things uh, to early Christianity. So uh, to say, well, the material that Matthew and Luke share that Mark doesn't share doesn't include the cross and the resurrection. Well, that's not surprising to me. <laughs> like, of, of course it doesn't, because the cross and resurrection is central to Mark's gospel. Uh, almost 40% is Jesus's Passion Week of Mark's gospel. So yeah, you're right. not going to find stuff in Matthew and Luke about Passion Week. Uh, there's going to be very little in Matthew and Luke that Mark doesn't cover because uh, Mark is, is, is very interested in the Passion Week of Jesus. And so I think sometimes they can get overstated, like, uh, okay, this hypothetical document must not have mentioned the cross. It didn't mention the resurrection. Well, I think that would be going a little far. Now we're talking about the, really what becomes something like the Gospel of Thomas. And so, again, we're working with a hypothetical uh, source, a hypothetical idea. Um, now, uh, before we go to just some of what this means and just why are we even doing this episode, anything jumping out to you so far as weird, unclear, like when you've studied this, like, oh, no, no, make sure you have to say this or it's not going to land well. Anything you'd add? I don't know if we're going to get there or not, but maybe I would say like, what, what is the alternative? And for, and if you're planning to, if you're planning to get there later, we can, we can hold off. But so we're looking at the nature of these texts. We're looking at what's in them. We're looking at where they have overlap and where they don't have overlap. And scholars have come up with this hypothesis of the Q document. What are the other hypotheses that would explain this overlap and non-overlap of mm -hmm. Of competing yeah. stories. Well, let's work with a spectrum because I think on one hand you could say there must have been a written document called the Q source. Uh, it, it was a written document, maybe of sayings of Jesus. Uh, is that possible? Yeah, that's certainly possible. Now, 
Um, there's whole whole books. In fact, if you really want to nerd out on this, it's a long book and it is very technical. Uh, it's by Richard Bauckham, a New Testament scholar, and the book is called Jesus and the Eyewitnesses. Uh, and it's a great the, book. Uh, it is so good. It is so technical. It is hard to read. But what Bauckham does is essentially he builds the case that the way that especially tribal communities uh, pass oral tradition down is a very meticulous beautiful communal process and could it be that the q source quote unquote is the community of jesus followers uh teaching what he taught them to teach as jesus said teach them to obey certainly like maybe it's not any more complicated than that this supposed q text or q source is just uh the passed along um oral tradition of the early church uh When families get together, they tell the same stories, and sometimes they tell them the same way, and it's important to tell the same way because it's about grandpa and his time in the war or about, uh, you know, your mom and what happened. Like, we we know what this is like in just a very normal-to-life, kind of normal-to-life arena. So um, sometimes I think too much can be made about this. Now, you're asking alternatives. Other alternatives would be, um, okay, there must be a different a different way to understand how the Gospels came about. So some would say that Matthew and Luke came before Mark, and Mark is intentionally using material from Matthew and Luke. That's why there's no uniqueness to Mark. So Mark has kind of condensed everything down and given a summary. Uh, there's, a, there's a bunch of ways, and again, we may come back and do an episode on the quote-unquote uh, synoptic problem uh, or something like that uh, at a later date, but there's other ways of construing this entire thing um, than just the Q document. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, and maybe one more worth saying is a lot of people who are, who are skeptical of this whole process would just you know kind of jump to something like, well, hey, we're talking about the divine Holy Spirit inspiration of these books. The Spirit just put on the heart and the pen of each of these authors to to write what they wrote. If there's overlap in places and overlap not in places, like that's the Spirit's work. Mm-hmm. And I think, yes, I think we can say, sure, the Spirit could have intended it that way. Um, but I think what is often behind that idea is just a real skepticism around the idea of the biblical authors using sources. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of interesting, like where that comes from. Like, although it's to say, like, if Matthew used sources in compiling his gospel and maybe we'll make a make an exception for the gospel of mark because that's a that's a gospel but then that somehow undermines their credibility or something Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um but i think it it's sort of short it's sort of short-sighted around the idea that why couldn't the holy spirit utilize the process of gathering information and doing research Mm -hmm. utilizing sources Mm -hmm. to then take all that material and get it out into the canonical spirit inspired form so I just feel like that's worth acknowledging. It's worth acknowledging and even pressing the point further. Um, I think that often, now we're way in the weeds of this, uh, I think that often, especially skeptical, maybe critical scholars will say, okay, if there's a source behind Matthew and Luke, then that means that source is going must be more authoritative or more accurate. Right. It's going to present right. a more accurate picture of the true Jesus. And then Matthew and Luke so are giving much. us, yeah, they're giving us a more you know, a theologized version of Jesus. They're giving us a lens on Jesus. Let's get, we almost need to see through Matthew and Luke to get to Q. And I think that, first of all, it completely betrays a worldview and ideology of the other part of that scholar that they never want to acknowledge. Um, And second, it assumes that any any text, any story, uh, any uh, sacred text 
even any newspaper article is not written from a particular lens. Like every everything written has a particular lens on it. And so to say Matthew and Luke wrote with a theological perspective, of course they did. They think Jesus is the king, the, the king of the world who came back from the dead. And so, yes, yeah. of course they're writing from that lens. And so um, I think that sometimes um, it can come across as we need to see through Matthew and Luke to get to the real stuff behind it. And I, I just think that, is it's an outrageous overstatement, we might say. And so yeah. um, let, let's acknowledge again, as you just said, uh, a, a Christian, a Jesus follower is coming to the table and saying, the authoritative text is the gospel text, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. And to Luke tells you he's using sources. That he's using sources does not diminish the authority of the text that I have in front of me. Um, right. did, did he g gather uh, an, a saying of Jesus from the community that we now put a label on called the Q source? Sure. But as Luke writes it and puts it in the gospel, as he fashions it by the Holy Spirit, that's where we're drawing our authority right. as a Christian. And I think that if you're hearing this and you're a skeptic and you go, well, I don't really buy that. I want the other thing. I, I, would, I would encourage you to, to check your maybe bias coming in or what's your presupposition as you come to the table. I'm acknowledging mine. I'm coming to the table with the assumption or the presupposition that God has spoken to us and he's done so in these texts, including these gospel texts. And so um, that they may have used sources. Of course they did. They acknowledge that themselves. And so I actually think it gives me much more encouragement, much more credibility um, to, to know that Mark's going, look, go talk to Bartimaeus. Uh, he's, he's over there. Like you, we know where he lives. Mark does this later when he talks about the sons of the man who carries Jesus's cross. That's a footnote. He's saying, go ask him because they're alive and you can go see them uh, right yeah. now. Um, and so uh, we might just put it, put it really simply. Did the gospel writers use sources? Sure. Does that mean their accounts can't be trusted? Certainly not. Uh, were their accounts theologically motivated? Yes. Do they then present an inaccurate view of Jesus? Certainly not. Um, so can we trust the account that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John give us of the resurrected Jesus as inspired by the Spirit, I think we absolutely can. Yeah. Um, I don't think anything about the Q source written, oral tradition, as a hypothetical source, none of that should have any bearing in my mind on the confidence a Christian has in reading their Bible. In fact, it's fun conversation. Uh, it, it might be even correct. Um, it could be an accurate representation of the historical development of the accounts of Jesus and the oral tradition passed down. Um, okay, cool. That's fun. Um, but it should in no way uh, change our uh our credibility or confidence in the Bible. Uh, when we talk about other gospels, gospel of Mary Magdalene, gospel of Thomas, that's going to be a different question. We'll address those, I think, in later episodes because it's a very different kind of question there. Yeah. Any other cautions or warnings or encouragements you'd give as we, this was supposed to be a fun one and a short one. Now we've got into the weeds and we're talking about <laughs> all this stuff and you're, you're trying to get me to do an Indiana Jones accent. <laughs> so yeah, anything else that you think is important for this conversation? I think you covered it pretty well. Yeah, I think I think it's the kind of thing that tragically, yeah, like bad college classrooms can make you feel like there's some sort of boogeyman underneath right. this discussion. And oh man, the church and the pastors, they don't want you to know about Q because it's going to unravel the authority. And I think you've really helped us help us see like, <laughs> also, no, I've never, I mean, heard, never heard anybody say that. <laughs> The boogeyman called Q. 
Where, when's the last time you were in a college class, Garland? I mean, an undergrad college class. I mean, it's <laughs> out there. It's going to get you. No, but I do think it it comes up colloquially. In, right. Uh, yeah, you're right. It, yeah. In like, yeah, this is something. There, there's something related to this Q document that's supposed to unsettle my faith in some way. Right. And I think you've really helped us see, like, oh, this is a this is an interesting and helpful scholarly hypothesis that uh, fundamentally doesn't change our uh, understanding of the authority of scripture or the confidence in in the words we have about Jesus one way or the other. But uh, doesn't mean we should be afraid of it. Doesn't mean we should obsess over it. Um, we'll we'll continue to see where the scholarship leads on this one. Well, the nerds out there, um, we hope you've enjoyed this one. And uh, I'll be working on this Indiana Jones uh, thing. I'm going to watch those maybe tonight and just sort of work on that I, impression. Can I, can I modify? I actually would like you to do our next podcast in the voice of Indiana Jones as portrayed by Nicolas Cage. Now that, that has weight. That it's would be good. Some, it's going to take some work. It's going to take a lot of work. All right. Well, as always, we hope that this, uh, this gives you something to think about and uh, can give you confidence in the Bible. And thanks for listening to Out of Curiosity. Thank you for listening to this episode of Out of Curiosity. If you found it helpful, please consider leaving us a review and sharing it with a friend. To suggest a topic, reach out to us on Instagram at OO Curiosity. We'll see you next time.